0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. Today's reading is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son... That whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Awesome! Very good. Thank you so much, brother. All right, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much. Thank you for our, our kids. Thank you for music. Thank you for art. Thank you for Carly and just the work you're doing in her life. This baptism for Jody and Karen and so many others who are are giving their lives to making disciples who make disciples and uh, for attempts at humor, for for now the preaching of your word. And we thank you most of all for the gift of your son, Jesus. And I just pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, take my best attempt of trying to communicate your love, which I know there's no possible way a human could do that um, adequately. And I pray that somehow, supernaturally, that you will make this message, this truth about your love alive in our hearts, and it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things, amen. You may be seated. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Just to see a show of hands, how many of you have that verse memorized? Yep, and uh, that's really good. The problem is whenever a verse becomes really familiar, it can really lose its meaning in our lives. John 3, 16, I think it's the first verse that I ever memorized. And, you know, as a kid who grew up in a church with a a dad as a pastor, I never doubted that God loved the world. The problem is that for me, for the majority of my life, I've had a hard time believing that God loves me. And maybe some of you can relate to that. When you think about the things you've done, when you think about maybe the thoughts you've had, when you think about all the sins you've committed, you know, I was reading in Romans 7 this morning in my quiet time and, and Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, even he was just disgusted by his own sin. He, he said, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I do the things that I hate. And then he has this breakdown in Romans 7. He's like, oh, I'm such a wretched man. I've come to an end of my rope. And maybe some of you can relate to that. When you think about all the sin you've committed, when you think about the people that you have hurt, or that you've disappointed, you know God loves the world. The problem is you just don't really know that God loves you. And if that is where you are this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here because my goal this morning is simply this. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit to preach a message that you leave today convinced that the God of the universe not only loves the world, but that he madly loves you. And before we talk about the love of God, I, I want to just share with you five reasons why this message matters. Five reasons why you need to become convinced that God loves you. And these are just kind of five things that, that I really feel like God downloaded into my mind this week when I was at the gym. And, and here's just five things we all start with seeks. I grew up in the Baptist background, so hopefully it's kind of more memorable that way. But, but when you are convinced of the love of God... You become more and more of a person of confidence, courage, conviction, compassion, and contentment. Let me just briefly unpack those. When you are convinced of God's love, you know who you are because you know whose you are. You know that you are, without a shadow of a doubt, a beloved son or a beloved daughter of the king of the universe. And if you know that, you know then, as the writer of Hebrews says, that you can approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. And if you can stand before God with confidence, and he knows all the junk, all the bad stuff about you, if you can now have confidence in your relationship with God, you can have confidence in your relationship with yourself and with others. You don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. It's like, here I am, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, you can have confidence, When you're rooted in God's love, when you're convinced of God's love, you also can have courage. The Bible says in Romans 8 that God has already given you his best by giving you his son, Jesus. And then not only that, if God God has not only given you best, that you can know as a result that that if that's true, he's not going to withhold anything good from you now. And not only will he not withhold anything good from you, but, but Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, he will work out all things for your good, all death, all loss, all pain, all suffering. And if that is true, What do we have to be afraid of? I mean, if literally God will use everything for my good, including death, then we can have courage. We don't have to play it safe. We can take calculated risk. We can can step out in faith. We can embrace discomfort and suffering for the cause of the kingdom. When you're rooted in God's love, you become a person of conviction. Uh, Rather than hearing the harsh voice of condemnation, which is a voice a lot of us hear that says things like, you're so stupid. You're so dumb. You're such a sinner. Who would ever want you? Rather than hearing that voice, the harsh voice of condemnation is your voice of the sweet, tender voice of conviction. You begin to hear the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus, whose voice always sounds like love and is leading you out of sin and into life. When you're convinced of God's love, you become a person of compassion. You, if you're rooted in God's love, it says in John 15 and in 1 John chapter 4, when you're rooted in God's love, you become a conduit of his love to the lives of others. Literally like God's divine love just flows through you. And so you go from being someone who's considered cold and, and, and merciless and cruel and indifferent to being a person of compassion. You move towards not just those who are like you, but even towards your enemies, towards the last, towards the least, towards the loss of society. You love because of the love that you have received. And then lastly, when you are rooted in God's love and you're convinced of God's love, you become a person of contentment. And can any of us actually ever put a price tag on contentment? I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times in my life where I want and I want and I want and I want and I try to get and get and get, but I'm still left so unfulfilled, so empty. The truth is, according to the Scripture, there is a way that you can be so rooted in God's love that like David in Psalm 23, you can say that I shall not want. I have everything that I need because I have the source of all that is good and beautiful and true. You, like the Apostle Paul, who suffered more than any of us will ever suffer from prison, can say things like, I have learned the secret of being content." in every single circumstance. Confidence, courage, conviction, compassion, contentment. Who does not want more of that? And the way that we get more of that is not to ah, just like, you know, like white knuckle it. But the way that we get it is by learning that we truly are loved as much as God says we are loved. And in order you know, for us to kind of get there, what I want to do for you in our time that we have left is I just want to do the best I can to hold out for you God's love. And I just want you to know that's a super overwhelming thing for me. I'm glad that it's going to be the Spirit who's going to have to make this alive in you, not me, because how in the world can one person, one man possibly explain and sum up for you the kind of love God has for you? But I'm going to do the best I can to hold it out for you. And what I want you to realize this morning is that God's love is much different than the world's love. The way God loves us is much different than the way the world loves us. When you think about the world's love, the world's love is conditional. And so what I mean by that is the world loves an object whenever that object proves that it's worthy of love. It's why we might say things like I love my new van because it's so spacious or has uh, extra cup holders or a, a DVD you know, player or whatever so the kids can watch this show and not fight on long trips or I love my baseball card collection because it's worth a lot of money or I love my new outfit because it pulls out all of my best features or I love my boss because he gave me a raise. Like That's the kind of love the world has. It's a love that is conditional and that is fine as long as you feel like you are able to prove yourself worthy of love. Problem is, most of us don't feel on most days like we really are worthy of love. We don't feel like we measure up. We don't always hit the target. We don't always live up to that expectation. Like we fumble, we fail, we fall in one area or another on almost a regular basis, or at least I know that's true of me. And so that is why it is so important this morning. You know that God's love is not like the world's love. The world's love is conditional, but according to the Bible, God's love is unconditional. Meaning that God doesn't love you whenever you prove that you're worthy, but rather he loves you and that is what makes you worthy. God sets his love on you and that as a result is what makes you valuable. You don't have to prove you're valuable and then he loves you. And kind of a silly and simple, and yet I think also helpful way to think about this is think about your favorite childhood cuddle toy. I got this illustration from a pastor in Oklahoma, and it's always stuck with me. But just to see a show of hands, how many of you uh, have had, whenever you were a kid, a favorite cuddle toy? Raise your hands. Be honest. I had people come up to me after the service, and was like, I actually did have one, but I didn't want to raise my hand. So raise them up again if you really had one. I'm not calling you up on stage. How many of you had one? Be honest. Okay. There's definitely more of you in here that have had a cuddle toy, but that's fine. Uh, ten of you. Um, hopefully the rest of you will get this illustration anyway. For those of you who had a cuddle toy, my guess is you named it. You probably gave it a name. And, and my guess is it probably wasn't perfect. It probably was flawed. It probably was, you know, scratched up or tore a little bit. It probably might have even, you know, stunk a little bit. I don't know. Um. But here's the thing. Even though your cuddle toy was not perfect, even though it was flawed, what did you do? You still loved it. You still cherished it. You still spent time with it. here's a picture of a cuddle toy I had whenever I was a kid. This is Chickadee. Um, That's me, by the way, little old me. I think I'm five, maybe six, my mom said. And you can't see it, but I'm holding my first tooth. That I ever lost. Uh, True story, I lost my first tooth by tying a string to one end and the other end to a doorknob, and I kicked the door open. And I saw them in Three Stooges. Thought it was a brilliant idea. And it worked. I literally didn't feel a thing. Um, But there I am with Chickadee. Here's the thing about Chickadee: there's nothing valuable about this stuffed animal. He didn't cost a lot of money, he wasn't a collector's item. Um, if we would have tried to sell him at a garage sale, I'm sure like nobody would have wanted him. But here's the thing, after all these years, I'm almost a 40 year old man and I still have chickadee. Yeah. Um, and you really can't see it from where you are, but chickadee is an absolute mess. Um, he, he actually had something on him in the first, half. I was only sure what it was and it was disgusting and we pulled it off and I threw it down here somewhere, but, um, uh, I mean, he, he is, he's got holes in him. My son Moses said, Dad, does he have holes in him? Because when you got him for Christmas, you tried to open the box up with a knife. And I was like, no, son, that's not how it works. Um, and so um, anyways, he's stitched up. His nose has fallen off. His beak is bad. This is all frayed. I mean, I mean, he literally, I mean, Chickadee is a wreck. And here's what I want you to realize. Chickadee is not valuable because of anything he's done. Chickadee is not valuable because the way that he looks, but he's valuable because I chose him. He's valuable because I set my love on him. And I know that that is kind of a silly, simple little example, but guys, that is just a glimpse. That is a picture of God's unconditional love for you. The scripture says in Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteousness, even our best days, are as filthy rags we're not that impressive. Maybe to one another, compared to one another we are, but to a holy God, we're not that impressive. We are born with a sin nature. We have been contaminated. We are stained. We have been wounded. Our lives, even now, don't exactly look the way we want them to look. And here's what I want you to still realize. Listen, no matter who you are or what you've done, even if you are not loved by anyone else, you are loved by God. And because Jesus knows that when I said that, most of you will say like, yeah, 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 I know that, but you don't really know that. He gives us three parables from Luke 15 that I think illustrate this beautifully. Three parables, and if you turn with me, I invite you to go ahead and turn there to Luke 15. Three parables that highlight the unconditional, uncalculated, irrational love of God. I heard uh, uh, Bishop Robert Barron talk about these parables in Luke 15. He says that no other place in Scripture, no other parables uh, better highlight what he called the crazy love of God. We're going to say it, the crazy love of God. But in Luke 15, starting in verse 4, we see Jesus. He's telling this first parable, the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, basically, hey, what what man among you, if you had 100 sheep and you lost one of them, would not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Well, the answer to that question is nobody would do that. Nobody in their right mind would do that. That is so illogical and irresponsible. I mean, if you were paid to be a shepherd, why would you ever leave 99 sheep in this open field, completely vulnerable to attack, to go after some stupid, idiotic, lost sheep that has wandered off? Like, like you would never do that. This is the kind of behavior, by the way, if you were a shepherd, that would have got you fired by your supervisor. So no one would do this. No one, Jesus says, except for God. Because according to Jesus, as he goes on to say in this parable, God is the kind of shepherd who is willing to leave the 99 who seem like they have it all together to go after this one little lost, pitiful, vulnerable sheep. And then in verse 5, look what he says. And when he finds it, Jesus says he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Get that image of, of, of Jesus joyfully putting you on his shoulders. And then he goes home. That's with you. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. According to Jesus, not Jared, God is like this foolish shepherd. He does not love in a calculated way. His love is reckless and it is risky. It is a love that throws caution to the wind for the purpose of seeking and saving this one lost sheep. And if that's not crazy enough, it gets even crazier. Look in verse 8. He says, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I found my lost coin. In the same way, i tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. To put this parable in modern terms, imagine I called you this afternoon and I'm like, I want to invite you to my party. And you're like, oh, that's great, man. Is it a birthday party, a like graduation party? And if, what's going on? It's like, no, I lost my penny. And you'd be like, and? And after looking for it all day and turning my house upside down, I found it. So come over and let's celebrate. Well, if we had that kind of conversation, you would think I lost my mind. Like, you, you would think, like, like, Jared, you are about to throw a party that is going to cost more than your penny, which you have been looking for all day long. I, I mean, you would maybe want to have me institutionalized. You would think that I'm insane. But according to Jesus, this is how much God loves the lost sinner. It is this a crazy, irla- irrational love. And listen, it is so important that we get that because again, a lot of us have believed the narrative that God's love is like the world's love, that God's love is conditional, that he loves you only whenever you're proven that you are by your works worthy of love. And that is just not the way it works with God. You know, if you uh, drove by my house tonight, you would see this big blow up Christmas bear in our yard. And every year I put that up, Megan and I remember whenever I first got this five years ago. And we got it five years ago. My kids were so excited. They were a lot smaller. And so the bear was like 10 times their size. And man, they were just filled with joy, right? So, and they went and got the neighbor's kids. They brought them over. They're like dancing around the bear. And, you know, we had a picture of it. And it was, it, it was sweet. It was great. Um, I mean, I felt so good as a dad that I was able to bring them so much joy. Unfortunately, I woke up the next morning and I realized that uh, while I was sleeping at night, someone had slit our bear's throat. Yeah. You didn't see it going there, did you, as far as the story, right? <laughs> and uh, fallen world, you know? And so like I, I I go to Dollar General, I get some duct tape and not only did I get some duct tape, I found some red duct tapes. So the red duct tape would match the red uh, on this bear's throat. And, and so I get it all kind of patched up, blow it up. It's, it's working somewhat. And so I'm like, okay, I got to go to work. So I rush into work and by the way, during this time period, my son was having a lot of health issues. We couldn't get any answer even after going to Children's and Little Rock, is was just a stressful time of the year. Uh, work was, I guess, okay that day, but there were some things I can't remember exactly happened that just, you know, it was kind of just a, a typical work day or whatever, but maybe a little stressful. And I thought, you know what, though? Th- none of that matters because when I get home, I know my wife is going to have my favorite meal for me, which at the time was soup, beans, and ham, and cornbread, and fried potatoes. Okay? It's not my favorite meal anymore. Please don't make it for me if you're just trying to be nice. I'll eat it, but it's just not my favorite meal. Okay? Um, you can make it for me if you want to. I'm just letting you know it's my favorite meal. And so, um, so I walk into the house and I don't smell any ham. I don't smell any sweet, uh, uh, soup beans. I don't smell any fried potatoes. I don't smell any cornbread. Megan says, Hey, I got bad news. Um, the ham that I was going to use for soup beans and ham was expired as bad. So no soup beans and ham, um, I wish that I could tell you that in that moment that I love my wife as Christ loved the church. But I had one of those dumb and dumber moments where it's like, we got no food, our Christmas bear's head is falling off, right? <laughs> and I didn't, I, I didn't yell at my wife, I didn't hit her, uh, I didn't cuss her, I didn't, but, but I let her know in that moment I was disappointed. And I acted like a little boy, and I went into the living room and just kind of sulked for a little bit because I didn't have my soup, beans, and ham. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, man, aren't you glad that God does not love you the way that I often love others? Some of us think God loves with this, he loves me, he loves me not kind of love, right? We've talked about this before where it's like, I read my Bible. God loves me. I didn't read my Bible. He loves me not. I didn't sin like or do the bad sins today. He loves me. I blew it again. He loves me not. Guys, that might be the way the world loves, but that is not the way God loves. I love the way that Jesus' story, but Bible says it. it says that God loves the never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love and just to further prove this, Jesus gives us one final parable it 's probably jesus 's most famous parable we 've all heard it. Robert preached on it, I guess five, six weeks ago uh, but, but right how does the, how does the parable go? You have these two sons, you have the older one he 's the model kid he 's the kid we all wish we had, right He always obeys, he always does what he 's supposed to do i mean there 's nothing about him that seems off; he seems morally like completely upright and, and fantastic but then you had this loser of a kid spoiled little brat you hate this kid it's like you want this kid to fail and this kid comes to his dad and and says the most shockingly uh, just disrespectful thing you could have said in this culture he says dad give me my inheritance that's the same thing as him saying dad I wish you were dead I, I don't care about you I just care about your stuff I don't just just give me my stuff And the father does and the son, he grabs the money and he runs and he runs and he runs until eventually he runs completely out of money. And therefore he runs out of friends and he runs out of a home and he's sitting there. You remember the story, right? He's with the pigs. He's eating the stuff the pigs eat. And listen, it's not until the consequences that he's even sorry. Doesn't even really seem to be sorry that he hurt his dad. He's just sorry that his life Stinks. And he said that and he says, Man, it's better for me in my father's house than it was doing this. And so he's like, Well, I'm gonna to have to come up with a speech and make this apology to my dad and make sure he knows how sorry I am for my sins and convince him to forgive me, and so he starts writing this, and while he's writing his letter to convince his dad how sorry he is and why you should forgive me and take me back in, it says his father sees him from afar. His father never stopped searching for him, never stopped looking for him, like the lost sheep, like the lost coin, sees him from afar. And then what's amazing to me is it says that like a madman, Jesus is again making this story up. He says like a madman, he runs towards his son, and he doesn't run towards him to shame him. Maybe what I would have done. He doesn't say, you've made your bed, now you've got to lay in it. doesn't go punishing him. He doesn't say, here's a list of consequences, or here's a way you can now make this up. He runs towards his son, which is the most shameful thing that a man can do in this culture. He runs towards this loser, towards this failure, towards this big-time sinner. I mean, it's like he literally cannot help himself. And when he gets to his son, the son starts his speech. He begins to try to convince his dad here. He even says to there, Dad, I know I'm unworthy of your love. I know I'm unworthy of your acceptance. And the dad literally cuts him off in mid-sentence. He doesn't want to hear any of it. I don't care about any of that. And in verse 22, he says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on the finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. And so they begin to party. What is Jesus' point? This is the same kind of love that God has for you. That's the whole point. It's an illogical love. It's an uncalculated love. It's an unconditional love that is for the faithful, but the full just alike. And what well, we have to understand that, guys, the reason God loves you this way is not because that's just what he does. The reason God loves you this way is because that is who he is. And First John chapter 4 John is clear like this is the very character of God. I think I can put this on the screen for you but in 1 John chapter 4 he says whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. That is profound. That's not what I would have wrote because God has love or because God does love. But John inspired by the Holy Spirit said no. God is love. That is the truest thing about him. And then here's the reason we celebrate Christmas verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. This is it right here. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that he loved us but that we or that he not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. for our sins. This is only good news when you realize how big of a sinner you really are. It's hard to really understand the love of God until you understand just how bad you have blown it. And I just want to ask you, like, when is the last time you really felt the full weight of your sin? When is the last time that you grieved your sin? The Bible's clear, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. And that sin, guys, it always leads to death. I was talking with a man... Just this past week, he wanted to meet with me. He'd had a one-night stand while he was in Las Vegas and got a girl pregnant. And while he was talking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? We get a text message from the girl that says, I just had an abortion. Maybe an extreme example, but guys, that's the consequences of sin. Sin leads to death. Maybe not in the moment. In the moment, it's fun. It's fun. Let's be honest. He wouldn't do it if there wasn't a payoff. In the moment, it feels so good. But that's just how sneaky the devil is, man. He he gets you and he's like, he promises you all this pleasure, but it brings so much pain. It brings about death, not just physical death, but emotional death and even spiritual death. And that is the really bad news for sinners like you and me. But the good news is, is as John just says right here, God sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. Paul says it this way in Romans 5 8, God demonstrates his own love for us and this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can you know today that God loves you? Here's how you can know he loves you. While you were still a sinner, while you were still in your addiction, while you were still having sex outside of marriage, while you were still looking at pornography while you're still treating your, your your spouse like crap, while you're still lying or gossiping or stealing, rather than God leaving you in sin, he ultimately sent his son to come and die for you so that you don't have to die for your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever just believes, that's all you have to do, just believe, whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life, full life, abundant life, the life that you are longing for. With that said, I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. And I just want to ask you this morning, like, are you convinced that God loves you? Are you convinced that God loves you? You know, one of the sweetest moments I've had in the past six weeks, I shared it at the members meeting was with Stephanie, And you know, after, you know, just sharing some of my own failures and flaws with with many of you. Stephanie, you know, she came into my office and she said, you know, one of my prayers for you, Jared, is that you will begin to see yourself the way God sees you, as a beloved son. And you'll know that your performance isn't the thing that makes that rise or fall. And I don't know about you, but it's like, I want that to increasingly become true of me. I want to increasingly see myself the way God sees me, as a beloved son of God. Don't you want that? To, man, for God to see you as a beloved son or a beloved daughter. Like, because again, you think about it. Like, man, when, when that happens, you finally get confidence. Like, finally, you're like, you know what? Like, I'm confident with being who I am. I don't have to try to be somebody I'm not. Like, I can be confident. I don't have to fear rejection. I don't have to wear a mask and, and just pretend, pretend, pretend. Like, You have confidence. You can have courage. You can be a person of conviction. You can be a person of compassion and contentment. Like, This is what is true when you are convinced of God's love. The Apostle Paul was convinced of God's love. Even from prison, he wrote this. For I am convinced, Romans 8, 39 I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor dead, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Couple weeks ago, I was sitting in a field watching the sunrise, which might sound really weird to some of you. Might sound really spiritual to others of you. I don't do it often. If that makes you feel any better, but I was sitting in a in a field watching the sunrise, and I just really felt God speak to me because, like I said, I've I've struggled at times to be convinced of God's love. And I'm watching the sunrise, and I know the sun's coming up because I can see these little beams. But in front of the sun are these clouds. And what God said to me is, is even though you can't see the sun shining on you, even though you can't feel it, the sun shining on you, the sun is still shining. The clouds don't change that. And, And he said to me, and I think to you too, is look, you may not feel God's love shining on you. You may not see it at times shining on you. But it is 100% actively right now in this moment shining on you. So why don't we feel it? Why, Paul says, I'm convinced nothing will separate me from God's love, but I feel separated from God's love 99% of the time. Why is that? Well, I don't know the answer completely. I mean, part of it may be that, that maybe you never have believed John 3.16. You've memorized it, you just don't believe it. That could be part of the problem. But my guess is a lot of you in here, you do believe John sixteen, You have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So why don't you experience God's tangible love? And I think there's three reasons at least, and I'll just mention them in five minutes. But one of them is sin. We don't experience God's love because we have unconfessed sin in our life. Um, Guys, one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And if you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're just going to have a hard time experiencing His love. Now listen to me very carefully. Listen when you sin, does God stop loving you? No. So that's not what's happening. If you think about it like this, it's, it's, God is still loving you. He's still right there. You're the one who's just kind of pulling away. You're walking out of step with the Holy Spirit. And so if, one of the reasons you may not experience God's love in a real tangible way is you may have unconfessed sin in your life that you just not repented of. You refuse. God has said, stop doing this, but you keep doing it. He said to start doing this and you won't do it. Sometimes we don't experience God's love because of our own sin. Sometimes we don't experience God's love because of people's sin against us. Some of you have experienced major trauma, major abuse, major hurt, abandonment. And it's just easy sometimes to project that on God. If this is the way people treat me, it's probably the way God treats me. Sometimes because of sin, we experience shame. And our shame keeps us from experiencing God's love. And so we believe the voices in our head that say, you're pitiful. You're worthless. You're a reject. You're a nobody. You're used goods. You're damaged. Who would want you? You believe that stuff. You believe if other people say it about me or if I say it about myself, then surely a holy God does. And then sometimes we have a hard time. Sometimes the clouds that that feel like they're blocking or separating us from God's love is a cloud of suffering. Guys, in this life, we will have trouble. And some of you have believed the lie that, that suffering is a sign that God has left you. You think that if God really loves me, then there's no way he would let this bad thing happen to me. There's no way he would have let this loved one die. But What does Paul say in Romans 8? No matter how big you have sinned, nothing can separate you from the love of God. No matter how much trauma you've experienced or how much shame you feel, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Suffered a lot doesn't matter how much you suffer, doesn't matter what happens to you in this world or what is taken from you, nothing can separate you from the love of God. No matter who you are, what you have done or have not done, right now, God's love is actively shining on you and nothing, nothing can change that reality. So the invitation today is this, rather than relying on your feelings, rather than believing the voices in your head, believe the word of God. Believe God's word. Take him at his word. And maybe you you need to pray. Was it Karen Dillon? Karen, I don't know if you're in here. She's back. Okay, she was here. Okay, that's good. She left. Um, And so, um, probably serving somewhere, actually, more than likely. But Karen and I were talking about this this past week. It's like so many of my prayers, and she said it too, is is that prayer from the dad in Mark chapter 9 where he's like, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, God, I want to believe, but I need you to help me believe. And 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 if you at least want to believe that God loves you the way it says, then just tell God, I really want to believe. I'm just having a hard time believing, I need you to help me believe it. And can you imagine, guys, how your life would change if you primarily begin to see yourself that you thought, Man, the truest thing about me is that I'm loved by God. That's the truest thing about me. You know, the the one who wrote first John chapter four, he was called in the gospels, he was his brother were called the Sons of Thunder. You know why they got that name? Because they were they weren't discipleship material. They were they were rough dude. They probably cussed most likely. Hate to hate to ruin your view of John, but they're just they were fighters. They were brawlers. They had a hair trigger temper. There's this one scene we see it in Luke chapter nine where uh, because these people won't follow Jesus, John is like, "Hey Jesus, you want me to call down fire from heaven and kill them all right now?" It's like first off, I don't even know he has that power. Uh, like I don't even know if John could do that. But that's his knee-jerk reaction. I'll just kill them all. They don't believe in you. You're worthy of praise. Let's crush them. But he went from being the sons of thunder to as he saw how God loved other people and as he personally experienced God's love. He went from being known as the sons of thunder, which, by the way, would be a great wrestling tag team name, by the way. Just saying. He goes from being known as the sons of thunder to, in his own words, when he wrote the Gospel of John, he called himself the one whom Jesus loved. The one whom Jesus loved. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say it about yourself whenever you sin big time this week? I'm the one whom Jesus loves. How do we get there? It's not by trying harder to be better, but it's by opening your heart up to the gift of God's love that's already being poured out for you through Jesus. Carly, fantastic job with your testimony, girl. Beautiful. That's it. You're just opening your heart up to the love of God. Or in the words of Jesus in John 15, you're learning how to not just open your heart up to him, to his love, but then you're learning to how, how to, Jesus says, to remain in his love. The word he uses there for remain means to abide. It means to say, stay in. It means to sit in. And how do we keep doing that? On a practical level, how do we continue to keep ourselves in God's love, to remain in his love, to abide in his love? Well, here it is on a practical level. You Ready? You have to slow down, and you have to carve out space to simply be with God, who is love. If you learn how to become aware of God's presence and that you're sitting in his presence because he can't be anything other than love, you're going to experience his love in a real tangible way. And an example I've given before, but I'll give it to you again as I think about my dog, Ranger. I'll put a, a picture of him on the screen, because I guess a picture is worth a thousand words. But um, which, by the way, he's doing a lot better. We think so. Thank you for praying praying for our dog. Uh, we believe God cares about all of His creation. Right? No prayers too big or too small. So thank you for praying for our dog. Um, but this is Ranger, and and the thing about Ranger I love about him is you don't have to have a leash with Ranger. He just he's so loyal. He just walks with us, anywhere we go. He'll stay with us. Uh, on the porch you see there, right? Uh, This is at our old house, but he still does this now. Like he'll just sit on the porch with us. and, And, you know, that seems like, well, that's so easy just sitting there. But again, think about it. He's a dog. His natural temptation is to run after the squirrel. His natural temptation is to go play with the kids who are coming by. They're just the strangers or, 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 you know, to get distracted by the cars or the noises. But amidst all the distractions, rather than running after all these things, he stays right there. And as he stays right there in my presence with me, I pat his head. I scratch under his chin. I rub his belly. And in doing so, he gets to tangibly experience my love. Guys, it's the same thing with God. I understand reading scripture is not easy. I understand spending time in prayer, silence and solitude is not easy. But I'm telling you, like that is the best way. I love this right here, this gathering. It's great. But I wouldn't trade this for my quiet time with God for nothing. Nothing. Like where I experience God's love the most, not every time, but where I experience his love the most and his embrace the most and his peace the most and comfort and joy the most, it's in those quiet spaces where I'm not rushing through things. I want to encourage you carve out space to sit in God's love. Use the means of grace, scripture and prayer and meditation and silence and solitude and allow his love to transform you from the inside out. And as a way of experiencing God's love in a tangible way today, as we do every single week, we're going to take communion. And I'm going to invite those preparing communion to go ahead and come forward in the band, if you will, to come forward. And here's what I want you to think about, guys, before we take communion. We do not do this because we're a part of a denomination that says you have to take communion every week. This is not a denomination thing. This is not a Jared Pickney thing. This is not even a crossing thing. This is a Jesus thing. Jesus says that this is one of the best means of his grace to experience everything that we just said in physical form. And so I want to encourage you as you come today and you partake of communion, remember that Jesus came to atone for your sins. Remember that he lived a perfect sinless life you couldn't live. And remember that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of his sins so that right now where you sit because of Jesus's work, not your work, but because of Jesus's work, you are the one whom Jesus loves. And as you take communion today and the bread is tore off, which represents the perfect life of Jesus and it's dipped in the juice, which represents his blood. I want you as you take that to say, I am the one whom Jesus loves. You can say it to yourself, not say it out loud, I'm the one whom Jesus loves. That is the truest thing about me in Christ. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, don't take communion. Take Christ. Take Christ. Take him at his word. Believe he is who he says he is and he's done everything that he says he has done for you. And if you want information about, man, what does that look like to really receive Christ, to give my life to Jesus, to believe this message, talk with me, talk with Luke. We've got a prayer team over here. Uh, we would love for you to come receive prayer. Maybe you just need to come forward and say, I believe this message, but I'm having a really hard time this week believing the message. Will you pray that God will give me an extra measure of faith to believe the message? And I think, man, that could be the thing for some of you that, bam, ignites it, stepping out in faith and receiving that prayer. But come talk to us, talk with someone else on our staff, talk with someone you came with who'd love to help you with next steps. With that, let's stand together. We'll pray. When you're ready, take communion or receive prayer, and we'll sing one final song and be dismissed. Father, we do thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you loved us, that when we were at our worst, you gave us your best, and that now we can know that you're not going to nickel and dime us to death. And all that we could possibly want is found in you. Would you please help us to just believe this word today, Holy Spirit? We need it. We really need it. We need your help. Help us to believe this word, to become a people of love and to shine the light of your love into our homes, our schools, our neighborhoods, our places of work, and all over the world. It's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.